the thing that struck me was that I now have a team. So I have leadership within my company that I can call 24-7 if I have a question. With that team approach, I actually feel more supported than I did before. Even though Tyson has a massive medical team, I didn't have a lot of help in the home setting versus if we were in a hospital setting. Welcome to the Unforgotten Families podcast, a driver of change powered by Team Select Home Care. This podcast was created to spread awareness, share solutions, and advocate for the needs of medically fragile families and provide these resilient individuals with an action-oriented community of hope, inclusivity, and compassion. It's our hope that the information, resources, and stories we share will inspire and empower you to join us in advocating for these families and help to ensure that they are never forgotten. Hello, Tough Advocates. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unforgotten Families podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Brandy Kuhn, mother of Tyson and a newly trained licensed health aide from the Arizona FLHA program. This is the program that is new to Arizona that allows family members of medically fragile children to become licensed health aides and paid caregivers for their loved ones in need. Today, we are going to hear about Brandy's family. We are going to learn about the FHLA training and understand how this program makes an impact. Brandy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And I just want to say a quick thank you to those who've spent those blood, sweat, and tears to help our families on the front lines. It's, you know, it affects families on a very intimate level. Um, So I just want those advocates and those people to know that that work is really valued and appreciated. Yes. Thank you all for all the hard work. And Brandy, I would just love for you to start with telling a little bit about yourself, your son Tyson, and also your family. Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in California, and now I live in Arizona. We've been here for almost four years. And my older son is Tyson. He's seven years old. And then I have a three-year-old son as well. And my older son was just a little basic on his diagnosis. Um, didn't have any complications at birth, but at six months of age had bacterial meningitis that caused a really severe brain injury. And as a result of that, he is diagnosed with cerebral palsy and epilepsy. Um, He's also nonverbal and uses a G-tube, some pneumonia history, other complications. But uh, the biggest thing that we handle with him on a day-to-day basis is daily seizures um, with his Lennox-Gastaut syndrome diagnosis with his epilepsy. And so, yeah, so that's caregiving has affected our family from day one with him. And we've, you know, managed college and, you know, different state moves and things like that over the years since we've had him. Um, But we, you know, my husband and myself really center our lives around what our son needs and, you know, prioritizing our family, but also trying to navigate this world with the chaos that this type of life has, for lack of a better word. 
when you say that you center your life around your son, Tyson, can you kind of paint a picture for what that looks like? Because I think, you know, I think that most families would say that they do that for their kiddos. But, you know, with kiddos like Tyson, can you talk a little bit about what kind of care he needs and what it looks like on a daily basis to care for Tyson? For sure. Yeah. So just to give you a few examples, my husband and I have lived in rural parts of America, like Eastern Idaho. Um, then we've also lived in Oklahoma and now Phoenix area in Arizona. And, um, after our son's diagnosis, one of the first things we decided to prioritize was living within an hour of a children's hospital. And that's because Tyson has roughly 12 to 14 pediatric specialists on his team. And those appointments are every three to six months, depending on which one. And so we are in and out of the hospital on an outpatient basis. And that doesn't include hospitalizations or, you know, emergency scenarios. But after a few interactions with regular hospitals with our son, we decided that in any emergency or case, it's best to just go to the experts, go to the children's hospitals when things are happening with him. For example, in our life, what that's looked like is my husband has worked for a mining company in Arizona for four years which mining in Arizona is really remote. And we've prioritized living in the Phoenix Valley to be close to all of his care therapists, doctors, things like that. So at different points, my husband has, you know, traveled during the week and then come home on the weekends. We've transitioned a little bit so he's able to come home daily, but really prioritizing the needs and the schooling needs and the medical needs of our son has led to a great quality of life for him, but also helped give me that support with the resources available in bigger areas. And and what does it look like caring for him on a daily basis? So Tyson requires diapering and full transferring. When he gets up from bed, we lift him, we take him out to the living room, do his full care. So similar to you would do like a three or four month old baby uh, with changing diapers, changing clothes bathing, so those kinds of needs, as well as making sure he doesn't have any skin integrity issues as, you know, the kids get bigger and bigger. That's always a continuing worry that we monitor. And then just his daily feedings. So because he doesn't eat by mouth, we do all of that with a feeding tube and administer that throughout the day. His hydration needs, we're always watching him. He likes to roll around and climb and things like that. So we are always watching for falling and risks of those complications with his seizures. On a good day, he has four or six seizures a day. On a bad day, it's over 20 a day. Um, So it can really vary. And we always have to be monitoring them, making sure that we're taking appropriate action if additional medication needs to be given or alternative intervention. So it's always a process of, okay, are we having a good day? And if not, is it because we're sick? Is it because we're having allergies? Is it because your stomach is upset and something's wrong with food? Is your brain just doing something weird? You know, so it's, we're kind of going through this whole process of elimination on those bad days, um, which just takes up a lot of mental, mental and emotional energy. And, and what, before this, you know, FHLA program, um, I'm assuming you had nursing. How many hours of nursing were you granted and, and how was that going before this program? 
Yeah. So pretty soon after we moved to Arizona, Tyson qualified for nursing services and he qualified for 40 hours a week, um, which is roughly what he gets now. And within the four years of time that we've lived in Arizona, we've had a nurse in our home for three of those months. So we were largely doing all of the nursing care independently um, because there was no provider or nurse to fill that role. And so what that looks like is because we prioritize our son's care and our family, I have stayed home with him, monitored his health needs, provided all that care, but that's also limited me in my professional pursuits and things like that, that I would like to have, um, you know, just, I, I, I think every parent weighs those things out. It just looks a little bit different in our scenario. So that's kind of what a quick synopsis of what we were having provider wise before that. Yeah. And like you were saying, you were explaining all the things that he needs, like there, someone has to be with him all the time. And so if you aren't able to go to work because there's no nurse, then you have to be there. And this is exactly why I'm so passionate about this program, because you are a great example of a great candidate that your son needs the care. He deserves the care. He deserves to be home. And you also deserve to be able to bring in income for the family. And if someone is going to be paid to be there, why not you? Right. I feel the exact same way. So tell me a little bit about this FHLA training. Can you kind of walk me through your experience, you know, what you learned and, and just how it was in general? So I was, I believe, one of the first people to go through the training in Arizona I work for a company called Team Select and have been really happy with them and their service for us. Basically, what kind of happened, we got scheduled for the training. Um, I was, of course, nervous of the time commitment because every time I schedule hours away from my family, then I have to provide typically two caregivers, one for my typical son, one for Tyson, to replace me in that scenario. So Basically, what happened is Team Select said that there would be a three-day training, and after that point, I would do a bit more online training, and we could get certified through the state. And so I kind of expected going into it to feel like a college class in a sense of someone was teaching me something that I didn't already know, but because of the caregiving I was providing, I already knew a lot of the skills, right? So what I really appreciated about Team Select was they were first off were right away complimentary of the skills I already had and said, hey, we're just going to team up together. We're going to go through these skills. We're going to make sure you have them mastered. If you have any questions, be sure to an- ask them. But we want to make sure that you feel prepared to take for- care of your son and also that we know that you are capable, if that makes sense, as an employer, So, which I completely understand as well. So. I just really appreciated how they set the class and keeping in mind that they wanted to protect families and the skills that they already had. Basically, the training consisted of, you know, skill review of, you know, G-tube skills and seizure monitoring and um, stuff that was specific to my son, um, how to take his vitals. It's so regular in my everyday life, what I do, so I have to think about it pretty specifically, (laughs) but like the skin checks and the bathing and the dressing, things like that. 
um, were things that we went over. And then after a few weeks, I finished the certification, got approval from the state to begin. And Team Select came out to the home and started him as a patient. So that was kind of the training onboarding process. It's a, it's awesome to hear that, uh, you know, about the skill set that you always have. Because I, I remember when I used to be someone that provided the nurses to the families, and I learned very quickly that parents are the best caregivers. Like, I, I could literally send my favorite nurse who I knew had the soft skills, the actual nursing skills, and everyone loved her. And that nurse still will never be quite the caregiver for the child that the parent would be. Yeah. Well, and it's just thinking about that, the nurse that we had for three months, um, she had a lot of amazing nursing experience, all those types of things. And when we were training her in the home, which is another point, every time you train a caregiver or a nurse, the parent is taking time out of their day, usually you know, close to 30 or 40 hours minimum to get that nurse up to speed on that patient. And, you know, and that's unpaid training by the parent. But as a parent, you want that nurse to know exactly how to do and care for that child. So I just remember, you know, it's just always an ongoing process of trying to get that caregiver to know and understand your child as well as you do, which, you know, is hard to do and some people achieve that it's a really big hurdle to overcome in that caregiving home setting i mean these are the little things that no one sees is like you could spend 40 hours and we're saying they're going to be sufficient but that doesn't mean they're going to understand nonverbal cues they're going to understand when when you know tyson's frustrated or happy like all of that takes so much time if they're an amazing nurse and they're an amazing connection it could take at 3 months and that's still and that's still being conservative, I would say. Yeah. And so these are the little things that, you know, people don't understand. And then boom, the nurse leaves three months later, and now you're back to square one. And and so now you again aren't able to go work. And again, Tyson needs the care. And so this is why, you know, I'm saying this, but I would love to actually hear from you. You've now been doing the program for how long? I believe I started it end of the middle of June. How is this benefiting Tyson? How is this benefiting you? And how is it benefiting your family? So picking up kind of with that story, when Team Select came out with the RNs to onboard Tyson, we threw his entire care plan and how those care plans operate. Because I've never really seen that from more of the professional perspective, right? I've seen it as a parent, but I haven't ever been responsible for the notes and the um, clinical reports and things like that, right? So in reviewing all of that, the thing that struck me was that I now have a team. So I have leadership within my company that I can call 24-7 if I have a question, because I still don't have a RN degree, right? I'm, I have a nursing license, but it's quote unquote, a licensed health aid, which operates under a nurse. With that team approach, I actually feel more supported than I did before. Even though Tyson has a massive medical team, I didn't have a lot of help in the home setting 
versus if we were in a hospital setting. So as soon as we step in a hospital setting, Tyson's specialists all show up. He's getting complex care in that setting. But in home, it was really relying upon me and my husband to provide that care and do the analysis until he needed to hospital. And so now, let's say, for example, he has a rash. I can send a picture of that to the nurse on call. I can get their feedback, see if we need to go to urgent care. Or if he's having some breathing concerns, they can give me feedback. Now, a lot of those things I've learned over the years, but knowing that I have support in the home setting whenever I need is just really reassuring as a family who primarily relies on themselves and a few select people who know Tyson, but it's not like I can just call up my neighbor in an emergency and say, hey, can you watch my kid? But now if I have something like that, I have an emergency, I can call the company, say, hey, can I get another nurse out here today? I really have something, you know, my husband got in a car accident, knock on wood, that doesn't want to, I don't want that to happen. But those things happen in real life, right? Having that team approach has given me a lot of peace, even though my day-to-day actions in Tyson's care haven't necessarily changed, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like it's, you now have you know, doctors are busy and doctors are, I mean, there are great doctors are available, but you're a call away. They might have a whole day's worth of patients, but now you have not only you being there, you know, like I, I'm, it makes me think about like, what does a, what does a, a heavy seizure look like when you're with him? Or if, you know, if you were gone and you had a nurse in the home and then what does it look like in a hospital setting when he has a big seizure? Right? Can you kind of lay out what those would those would those would look like differently? Yeah, exactly. So, because Tyson seizures are daily, the response to them and the processing of them is just part of our lives, right? And so, on a daily basis, we have our emergency protocol. He has a device called the VNS, um, so we have our response with that, and you know, we monitor him. We turn him on his side, make sure he's breathing okay, comes out of the seizure. And then if I was doing dishes, I go back to doing dishes and keep an eye on him in the other room, or I, you know, wipe up my toddler's face or, you know, like I just kind of operate in my normal life with the seizure occurrence. And if a nurse was in the home, I guess going back to what I would do, I also know the ins and outs of his typical seizures. And then I know an emergency seizure, right? So I can, I can evaluate that very quickly and I can respond very quickly. If a nurse was in the home, they would most likely, especially if it was a new nurse or an emergency placement nurse would most likely have a seizure action plan, basically saying, if he does this, this is your response. If he does this, this is your response and have like three or four scenarios. Then they would, you know, kind of probably frantically call me. I've had a lot of those phone calls and say, hey, this is what happened. Did I do the right thing or need to do something else? And then they would explain what's happening and I would say yes or no. And then we would either go on with our day or call 911. And that seems pretty stressful if you're being, I'm I'm assuming it's like you're trying to play telephone on this seizure. And and if you're there, you can actually know because just by seeing so many of them every single day, 
you know, maybe he rolls his eyes in a certain way, or maybe his a certain body movements, and you're like, oh, this is this type. But if someone's trying to tell you through the phone, it's probably stressful and it's scary, and you're trying to figure out through telephone. Yes, and it's and it's a balance, right? Because as a parent caregiver, I do need that respite, which is provided by a nurse, and. So I I don't have any qualms of saying I could provide 24/7 365 care for this child right. because in that scenario I'm not taking care of myself, right? Yes. And so time. yeah, so I mean, so I I have both and it's always a balance of which one do I need at which time, right? <laughs> and so but with the caregiver shortage that's present, it's always a okay, well, I'm providing a lot of care and I don't have respite. And so I have to make this survival situation as best as possible. So it's a balance in all of those things. Can you also share what it would look like in a hospital, just so people can understand like what a hospital would do when this type of thing happens? Yeah, for sure. So we were, a couple months ago, we were in inpatient at the hospital here in Phoenix. And Tyson was having an EEG done, which is a um, test that was like 48 hours to monitor his seizures. And basically the protocol in that setting is anytime Tyson has a seizure, I, as the parent in the room, hit a button and two or three nurses and possibly a doctor come running in the room and there's alarms and things like that happening. All the lights pop on in the room, things like that. and. I was just enamored with this idea of this is normal emergency response that's appropriate for a seizure. And I just operate with this stress and this, you know, emergency scenario on a daily basis in my home constantly while trying to navigate the rest of life. And so it was pretty eye opening in that fact, but it also put in perspective for me that no, he really does require that level of nursing care. He requires high level need, but because we as a family want him to be in our home, we want him to be present and loved and cared for by us. We've chosen to take that responsibility on ourselves, but it just really put that in perspective. It gives you some grace uh, for all the hard work and how much you've actually take on as a family to be like, wow, like when this happens in the hospital, three or four professionals run into the room and this is happening every day. And that allows you to realize like, I'm doing a great job. (laughs) You know, you're doing a great job. And (laughs) also what you were saying, I think it is a good combination to say like, you do also need respite. And, but I do think what's amazing about this program is that you are, you have the power to decide what you want. You can decide, I'd like to try to find a nurse for X amount of hours, or I would like to take this many hours, or I would like to split them up. And I just think that that should be the norm. You know, there's some families that are like, don't want it, would like to have a nurse. I actually need my own time. That's great. Um, but if, if this is what's right for your family, then you deserve to make that choice. Yeah. I think it gives a lot of autonomy and, again, power of choice to those caregivers who are putting that work in day in, day out. They're the front lines of that care. And just the option to choose 
and to work with the company. And to, I'm honestly, today I talked with Team Select and I said, hey, I would like a respite nurse 20 hours a week. And they said, oh, okay, we're going to go try and find one for you. And so, I mean, I advocate for respite as well, but I also really enjoy having the LAJ program and being able to have that ebb and flow as need over Tyson's lifetime Um, because our family needs and his needs are always going to kind of constantly be changing depending on the situation. So that's a really exciting thing about this. What would you say to a family that's listening to this? um, Would you recommend the program and why? Yeah, I would highly recommend the program. Um, I think a lot of times caregivers especially caregivers of minor children with complex medical needs don't see themselves as caregivers necessarily. They just see themselves as a parent, which of course you're the parent, of course you're your child and you want the best thing for them. There is a lot that happens above and beyond a typical parent responsibility with kids with complex needs. And so I think these parents who are making monumental sacrifices for their children deserve to have programs in place that support them, that really back them up on the severe medical level care that they're providing in their home setting. And so by being able to be a trained professional, you have further skills going forward in the workforce. If you want, you have a team with your child on a continual basis. And so I think it really just provides a lot more rounded care and caregiver support for your family versus just relying on yourself and trying to get through the situation versus create a support team, even though you're still the main provider of financial flexibility and choice in how many caregivers you have, or if you just want it to be yourself. So I think it I think it just opens up doors. I don't think it closes them. And what would you say if there's a family like let's say in Virginia or Florida or another state that's hearing this and says, This sounds like my family and I want this for my state? What would you say to them? Advocate. <laughs> I would I would reach out uh how to get started in that is, you know, probably could be a whole podcast on itself. As someone who's done a lot of advocacy work, I really believe in the power of like one person. You have the ability to go change things. And from what I've found and things I've seen happen in our state in Arizona is legislators and elected officials across the aisle want to support families like ours. And so I would start contacting, you know, organizations or Facebook groups or things like that and start having conversations of, okay, who's talking about this? Who's talking, who's already trying to get legislation passed and what are they doing? Maybe reaching out to Team Select or other companies who are helping to advocate for these programs and seeing how they did it in other states. So just start having those conversations and whether you play a small part in writing your legislator a few times or you play a big part in writing um, big proposals and working with powers that be, it really makes a difference no matter where you're at in that advocacy. But I think just taking that action, looking to what is happening and 
um, moving forward with what you find is, is those beginning steps. I love that. I can feel it. And it is it's powerful. A- it's powerful. <laughs> what would you say is the biggest lesson in life that you've learned from Tyson? Ooh, that's a good question. I've learned a lot of lessons from him. I would probably say the biggest thing I've learned is to enjoy the little moments. And so I I make it a point every day to really focus and be present on if I'm cuddling with kids or if I'm my toddler's having a meltdown for the fourth time that day and really valuing oh, he has emotional expression or taking that, you know, which, you know, parents, toddlers, that is not easy to do in, you know, the five seconds that are happening and um, being present, I think is the real joy in life versus worrying about the past or the future. So I would say that's the biggest thing I've learned from him. I love that. And the last thing I'll say is while we're here together, is there anything else that you just feel called to share whether it's about Tyson or about this program or anything that you feel is important to say right now? Yeah. um, I think I just have an overwhelming gratitude for the people who, you know, have really worked to advocate and to push these types of programs through. I know I said that at the beginning, but as someone on the front lines, I know there's a lot of bureaucracy and red tape and things like that, that go on with getting these programs through at a state level. But there's very few things that impact, you know, a single mother with two special needs kids that doesn't have the ability to work and has relied on government assistance for 10 years. This gives her the opportunity to go out and she now can bring income in for her family and pay her own bills and do those types of things that wasn't possible before. And so things like this program really make a difference. And while social services are needed and therefore, you know, us as citizens, this actually enables people to feel that enjoyment from earning that income and being present for their child like they want to be. And so I just really appreciate that they took the forefront to help those families on the front lines and really make legislation possible in those homes individually. Thank you for listening to the Unforgotten Families podcast, a driver for change powered by Team Select Home Care. Be sure to follow us on our social media channels at the Unforgotten Families on Facebook and Instagram as we continue to spread awareness, share solutions, and advocate for the needs of medically fragile families. We will see you on the next episode.